0: I know it's cold out, um, but I just I love uh, when the sunlight just like fills the sanctuary. Like, isn't it just beautiful? Like, I'm just so grateful for this space. Uh, if you don't know, we were given this space for a dollar uh, just over a year ago by a dear Lutheran congregation, and um, I, I just, uh, yeah, just continue to stand uh, grateful for that. Um, yeah, praise praise the Lord for kingdom generosity, right? Uh, so earlier this week, Aaron and I, we, we watched, uh, Pastor Aaron and I, we watched a, a video um, from the Alpha series. Have any of you seen this? Uh, Alpha, been a part of that? Okay, a couple of you are. Yeah, uh, so we actually went and visited another church that's doing the Alpha series. Um, it's like these intro videos about Christianity, and they're, they're just really, really well done um, in hopes of eventually doing that here at Restoration, uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but the, the one that we watched this last time is called, it's the second in the series, called Who is Jesus? And it was just so moving and beautiful. I really, really loved uh, this video. They're also available free on uh, YouTube, so if you just kind of need a, a, a sort of Bolster to your faith, uh, please do go and watch uh, those those videos by the alpha um, alpha group Alpha Ministry. We'll go with Alpha Ministry. How about that? Great. Aaron's like, I don't know. <laughs> great. Alpha, who is Jesus? Yeah, great. Okay, anyway. Um, so in this video, they, they, they try to um, answer the question, who is Jesus? And as you might assume, they say, Jesus is God. And they give many, many reasons for why one ought to view Jesus as God. One of the reasons is, is that they say that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies. And there's like hundreds and hundreds of these. Uh, they also speak to the historical reliability of the resurrection and why that is something that can be reasonably affirmed and believed historically. They also talk about the life-changing impact uh, that Jesus had upon the disciples, many of whom were killed uh, for reasons, uh, for following Jesus, and they would rather choose to die than renounce uh, the message of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. Well, another one of these reasons that they said in the video, I've, I've thought about this idea before, but never really as a proof of the divinity of Jesus. And, and once I heard that, I was like, wow, that is, that is beautiful. I love that. And so this is what it is. They said that one of the reasons for Jesus's divinity or, uh, evidences of are his supreme moral teachings. And it's like, yes. Jesus's teachings are beautiful. They they are superior. There there's never been anything like what Jesus has said. There's there's a reason why he changed the world and it's because the things that come out of his mouth are just absolutely just shocking and elegant and and wise and beautiful. Our society has advanced, you know, uh, or humanity, you could even say, has advanced in so many different ways in science and technology, etc., uh over the generations. But no one has improved upon the words of Jesus Christ. He says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, Or perhaps what's most radical of them all, love your enemy. Like, Jesus said these things. Let me actually just pause right there, because if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, or or the the world of the Bible... Take one of these Bibles home, open it up, read it, uh, learn about Jesus. Just start right in the book of Matthew and just keep on trucking. Uh, if you are in a, a season right now where you feel like anxiety or cynicism is kind of getting the best of you and you feel like your faith is, is faltering these days, turn to the scriptures. This is the word of God and, and he is alive and he speaks to us through these things. So may your faith just be rekindled simply by reading the Holy Scriptures, by reading the Bible, by reading the words of Jesus himself. So we read some of the most beautiful words of Jesus' teaching this morning. Our our lectionary had for us this morning uh, this portion from Matthew's Gospel. This is uh, perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we just heard was uh, the Beatitudes, uh, all of these blessed statements. And so we're going to be turning to that this morning. Um, this is a moment when Jesus, he ascends up this mountain. And for the Jews of that day and for those who have, who uh, were listening and sort of reading the Gospels for the first time, they would have seen or, or read Jesus ascending up this mountain, sitting down And they would have been reminded of Moses himself who ascended a mountain and was given the Ten Commandments, these laws, and then distributed them to uh, the Jewish nation. But here in this instance, Jesus isn't receiving the divine word. He's opening his own mouth and he is speaking out divine words, beautiful words, words of hope, uh, words of peace, of love, of joy. And he's giving us not a, necessarily a, a list of do's and don'ts. He, he seems to be speaking to an even deeper level within us all, sort of teaching us a, a new way of simply being. He's, he's giving food for our souls in this moment. Blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, so on and, and so forth. Now, these, these statements, these beatitudes, as they're called, it's not like you kind of get to pick and choose which one you want. It's, it's not like, oh, oh, that one's mine or, or this one is. These are meant to describe everyone who bears the name Christian. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, we have other lists, kind of like the, the fruit of the spirit, you know, spiritual gifts, things like that. And, and those are things that uh, Christians tend to nerd out on a little bit and say like, oh, I've got this one or I've got that one. And, um, you know, we make up like trading cards and stuff about these things. That's not true. <laughs> no one does that. Um, but the, the Beatitudes are different. This is the way of every single Christian. These are attributes of us all. So I don't have enough time to go through all of these today. Instead, I, I just wanted us to drill in on one of them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want us to dwell on that this morning. Our world needs peace, does it not? I mean, every day there's just a new tragedy, a, a new headline that hits us. Our cities, our neighborhoods, our schools, certainly. Uh, many of our homes are in dire need of peace. Many of our own souls are just in an anxious state these days, and we need the peace of Christ to be with us. And here, Jesus says to us all, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That word blessed, some teachers will say that it merely just means being happy. Uh, This is not a a therapeutic statement. Um, Blessed means that you are receiving favor of God, that His Favor rests upon you. Blessed, he says to his disciples. Blessed are the peacemakers. The the biblical notion of peace is much bigger than kind of how we use it in our day-to-day English. Usually when we use the word peace, we're talking about like a inner sort of like tranquility of spirit. You know, like I've I've got peace. and Sure, like that's part of the definition. um, But there's more to it than that. Uh, Sometimes we might talk about peace as in like, Wars are not at nation, or uh, wars. Nations are not at wars, and so therefore they're at peace. And and yes, certainly that's that's an appropriate way to use the word peace. Um, but biblically speaking, it's it's more than just an absence of conflict. Biblical peace is a community that is in harmony with one another. You may have heard that word shalom, which I'm, I'm not going to pretend to pronounce that correctly. Um, but shalom, it's, it's this harmony of a community. It's, it's when you have a community of people who are collaborating with one another, who are um, working and partnering with one another and creating um, just a, a beautiful community of, of joy and of happiness. So a few weeks ago uh, at Restoration, there was a couple who was married, uh, Josiah and Audrey. It was a, it was a wonderful wedding. Uh, several of us were able to be there. And afterwards, it was just a, a fun, fun party. Uh, they had this banquet hall. Uh, with, with a room just filled with these rectangular tables. And all, I I don't know if they wanted to like segment us away from the other people, but all the restoration people were sat, yeah, were sitting together. And it was just so much fun. Uh, we were telling jokes and laughing and, and catching up with one another. It was just an absolute delightful time. We were enjoying a fine drink and good food. Passing babies around and you know, there was a there was a moment where like I didn't know where baby John was Uh, Someone just had him somewhere and it it was great. It was just a beautiful moment of shalom It was a beautiful moment of peace And it wasn't shallow like these are people and like we've done life together like we've we've worked through issues together And here we feasted there was there was merriment, right? Like it was good. It was a grand time peace is like a wedding party And I think that our English use of the word peace misses out on that. It is a wedding party that will culminate someday in heaven, the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when that peace will just completely outshine any semblance of peace that we've experienced in this world. One other note just on this this phrase, on this beatitude, when Jesus says, and they will be called sons of God, that is that is um, a, a generic masculine phrase. Women are not excluded from this. You are included in this. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus, uh, he, he refers both to, um, to men and women as, as sons or daughters. Um, some translations that aren't a literal translation, like our ESV, will uh, translate this as children of God. So no brothers and sisters, this is for you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So when we ourselves engage in making peace, it's no small thing. This is actually a divine, cosmic, mystical uh, experience, a mystical work that we engage in. Because all the way in the beginning... When God created man and woman and and placed them in the garden, we were his image bearers there in the garden. We were his representatives to the rest of the cosmos. We were tasked with extending the creative work of God by bringing order to creation, to explore the cosmos, to name the creatures, to tend to the garden, to make beautiful things. We were to see God clearly, to worship him forever. But then we rebelled against God, A curse fell upon all of creation. And God, who is perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly beautiful, he would not allow our violent, self-serving hearts into his presence. And so our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with one another was broken. Our relationship with the created order was broken. But but broken actually... Doesn't really—it's not a strong enough word because, in reality, when we, his image bearers, sin against a holy God, well, what that means is that we stand now as condemned criminals, who are sort of waiting for our final penalty. And you think if you think I'm being too harsh or describing things in sort of um, old-fashioned, sort of uh, too harsh sort of terms, and you're not paying attention to the headlines of this world, we are at war with one another. We are devouring one another. We know what is right and wrong, and we just constantly choose the bad way, the the wrong path. The Bible says that Jesus himself, Jesus, the person, Jesus, he is peace. He is our peace. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of the cross For Jesus himself is our peace. You see, Jesus is the perfect man. He is God fully. And he lived a sinless life, one that you and I could not. And at the cross, he takes upon himself all of the punishment upon himself. The wrath of God was satisfied as we sing. But more than that, he is victorious over sin. Because he rose from the dead. By his resurrection, he has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated Satan himself. And so now he offers to us the free gift of forgiveness, of grace, and of peace for all those who follow him. In another place, the Bible speaks in in these similar terms. Again, St. Paul says, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of the Lamb. And we get to partner with this. We get to partner with Jesus in ushering out, in announcing this peace to ourselves, to one another, to those around us, to our neighbors, to our colleagues. And to be clear, you are not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Jesus is the only one who dies for our sin. But when we engage in peacemaking, we are participating in that divine work of God. Peacemaking is divine work. So we've talked about how um, peacemaking is, is holistic, uh, how it, it impacts us, how it gives us joy. We've we've talked about Jesus Christ as our peacemaker, but what about us? And I want to focus more on the communities that we are in, uh, on a more local level. Uh, I want to talk about like our small groups, uh, our our just gatherings here, uh, our households. So how can we see peace come alive more so in, in our places, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our own denomination? How can we see peace in our midst? Stanley Hauerwas, uh, he says, uh, Biblical peacemaking is an active way to resist injustice by confronting a wrongdoer We're really good at that part, aren't we? Confronting a wrongdoer. (laughs) But also by coming with an offer of reconciliation. And biblical peacemaking needs both of those things. We need both the, the boldness for that confrontation in a Jesus gentle sort of way. But also we need the creativity of proper, beautiful reconciliation. And it is costly. This is costly work. It's challenging to do this. It requires all of our intellect. It requires all of our creativity. It requires all of our resources. This is not a small work. When you engage in peacemaking, it's going to cost you something. So even when you approach someone, you have to apologize for something that you have done. That's going to cost you some of your pride. You have to humble yourself in that moment. Uh, If you yourself are being rebuked, uh, that's going to cost you something. That's going to cost a bit of pride as well. If you have to rebuke someone who has injured you, well, that's going to cost you some serious time, some some serious heartache. You might even lose some some sleep over that. Or perhaps you have to hold your ground at refusing a relationship with someone who is unrepentant. And that will most likely cost you the relationship. Peacemaking. Is costly it's really costly if you yourself are a mediator perhaps you've been in a situation like that where you've you've seen two friends in conflict and and you've been asked as being trustworthy or deemed trustworthy by both of them to mediate some of that and i don't know anyone who's mediated as something before and been really excited about doing it again because um, sometimes you yourself kind of take some of the heat, right? There's, there's pain because you're, you're learning about these two people who you love and, and ways in which they've messed up and wounded one another. And then you also have difficulty in trying not to exercise prejudice against one party or the other. You yourself are giving up your time, your energy. And sometimes rest- uh, re- there's resistance when you offer a solution. Usually one of the parties doesn't like the solution, and then and then guess who's the recipient of, of more conflict, right? It's you, right? So peacemaking is difficult challenging work, is my point. Uh Saint Augustine, uh, there there's there's a moment in his writings where he brags on his mother Monica because apparently she was known as this force for peace in their community. And I and I love just how um creative she she is. So she would see two people uh, in conflict in the neighborhood and, you know, in small villages you know everyone and so she'd listen and she'd sit, uh, sit with uh, each of these people individually and she'd listen to their stories and she would, whenever she was in the presence of, of one person she would always speak highly of the other person. You know, trying to get them to, to recognize them as another human being, <laughs> trying not to demonize this person and point out all of their wrongs. And if she ever heard something good about one person, she would bring it to that other person and remind them of that. And if she heard something bad, she would sometimes either keep that to herself or she would mitigate it in some sort of way. Now, hear me out. I I don't think she was like covering it up or sort of twisting the truth or something. No, she was. Being with the Bible, what Jesus would say is wise as a serpent in these moments and knowing exactly how to use this negative information and and how to either couch it appropriately or sometimes restrain it for the sake of peace, for the sake of greater unity. In this way, Monica was able to help the two in conflict to see the good in one another. This is so hard to do because it goes against our human nature, doesn't it? We hear negative things about one another, or we're electrified by it. We love it. We want to share it with one another um, for a variety of reasons. Martin Luther, he, he talks a bit more specifically about this, and he uses quite vivid language in typical Lutheran sort of way. It, not not Lutheran the denomination. I mean, uh, we love Lutherans. <laughs> I'm talking about Martin Luther, okay? Uh, so in his sort of way. But he would say so often we are like poisonous spiders that love to, to suck out nothing but the poison from a beautiful, lovely rose, which ruins both the flower and the nectar. Yikes. <laughs> but then he says, were we more like a little bee, who on the other hand sucks out nothing but the honey? And leaves the rose unharmed. And Luther says some people act this way. They can't help but feed off of the, the poison that they discover in others. Killing the community, killing the beauty of the garden. What the good is that they see in other people, they, they, they are oblivious to so peacemaking is costly, difficult, challenging work that, that often goes against our, na- our nature. For the peacemaker, the peacemaker needs to learn how to find those best intentions in their neighbor and bring them to the surface. The peacemaker will often conceal someone's suffering and pain for the sake of the peace and the harmony of, of the community. A peacemaker must be alert in their mind open in their heart they must be good at holding their tongue and praying constantly for wisdom right and what's the fruit of this what is the blessing of being a peacemaker they shall be called sons of God what a beautiful title children of God by bringing peace into a community so why is it that we do this is it just for the title I don't think so We do this because this is what Jesus does for us every day. When the devil comes against us and wants to slander us and spread lies about you in the courts of heaven, Jesus himself stands on your behalf because he loves you. He wants to defend you. He wants to argue for your peace. He wants to fight for your peace and has upon the cross because he loves you. So how might you be a peacemaker this week? In your workplaces, in your households, in in your small groups, here in the church, uh, in your place of influence, how might you be a peacemaker? God has given each of you some sort of realm of, of influence, of control, of responsibility. So how might you be a peacemaker in that? Maybe it's challenging yourself to listen more. Maybe it's challenging yourself to think of that that one person on the team or whatever who's always under your skin and trying to find a way to speak goodness about that person to others. Or maybe what you're thinking about this morning is, I'm just in so much turmoil myself, Uh, I'm, I'm in conflict with God. Well, approach the Lord with boldness, knowing that he wants to offer you his peace. In fact, after you come up this morning and and receive the the bread and the wine, a a foretaste of of that great heavenly banquet, go and avail yourself to the prayer ministers. It will be available there in the back. And just say, I need to know the peace of God uh, in in a more profound sense. Or maybe bring to them um, a conflict that you have and just say, I feel stuck in this situation. I don't know a way out because Christ is infinitely wisdom. And he's given you so many wise brothers and sisters here to lean upon and to go to and to discuss these things with. Uh, Small group leaders or uh, Bible study teachers or pastors. Just go and avail yourself of the resources that you have here in the household of God. Approach the Lord with boldness, asking for his wisdom and peace. Because he wants to give it to us. May restoration be a beacon of peace in this chaotic, war-torn, violent world. May people know that this is a place where we are not rattled by the anxieties of these worlds, but rather we rest upon Christ, the one who has bought for us peace by his own blood. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for winning over peace for us, for defeating sin and Satan on our behalf for experiencing the punishment that was reserved for us, you took that upon yourself so that we could have peace with you. Thank you for welcoming us into your midst. And Lord, thank you here and now that you are pouring out your blessings upon us. Lord, I thank you for the moments of joy and celebration that you give this congregation. May there be more of that, Lord. And give us creative imaginations, Lord, to discover opportunities for peace in those places where you have placed us. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.